Absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for coming and being here with us at church, that we might worship the Lord together. We've been studying through, if you're visiting with us, those that are here know, we're studying through the book of Acts, and we've come to the 12th chapter. And so what I'd like for you to do, if you would, is turn with, your Bible, turn with me in your Bibles so that we can, we can kind of take a look at this place in Scripture. But I want to say something to you. When I started off, I mentioned last week that I only could go through four verses. I meant to go into chapter 12 and talk about the, the, the arrest of, um, of Peter, the, 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 um, the, uh, the killing of James, and, uh, and how the Lord um, just allowed Peter to escape out of prison. And as I was studying through this place in Scripture, it dawned on me uh, something that has been growing through my mind a little bit as we went and took a look at Stephen and Philip. If you remember back in the seventh chapter, Stephen upset some of the religious leaders of his day, and they, uh, they convicted him of some false things, and they ended up stoning him to death. And we made mention that his life ended very abruptly. And then we, we mentioned upon the scene of one of the seven that were chosen in the church to kind of care for certain things, Philip, his life went on and on and on and lived a very long and enriched life and served the Lord for quite a while. And I thought about that and I kind of let that go. We mentioned it, but I kind of let the whole thought of God's sovereign will go but as I was going to study through most of chapter 12 this week, it, it, it dawned on me when I took a look at the life of James and how he was beheaded by King Herod and how the Lord allowed Peter, who was in the prison and chained to some guards, and, and the Lord came at nighttime and, and awakened Peter and, and, and had the chains just fall off of him and and, and, and the guards did not know what was going on. They were still resting or sleeping. And, and, and up and uh, Peter walks right out of the prison. And we learned in this particular place in Scripture, as we're going to read in a moment, that the church was praying fervently. Fervently. And I stopped for a moment when I saw that, and I thought, I've know from the depth of my soul that they were, some people were praying fervently for James as well. I'm certain that there were people there that loved James dearly. And yet when I read that, I saw James died, Peter didn't. What's up, Lord? And I thought that most of us here, if not at this point in time, at some time in our lives, would kind of wonder, what in the world is going on when we pray fervently? Why is it that sometimes the answer is so positive and and other times it looks like to us that the answer is so negative? And I... uh, I want you to know exactly what I'm going to try and teach and what I'm going to say at the end. I want to say right now because I I don't think that there's any reason to hold back what is being taught and what, what we want to try and learn. And the bottom line is, we don't know the answer to this. The bottom line is, the sovereign will of God works in our lives and we don't have the right to... To manipulate the Lord. We can't. His sovereignty is over each and every one of us. What made this kind of more relevant to me is one of my friends, dearest friends from high school, known him for kind of ever, you know, and and his mother right now is 93 or 4, and her health has been failing, but it's been failing for a few years and to where she now doesn't recognize anyone, uh, to now she is being cared for, and, and she is suffering and uh, struggling through her sickness and her poor health, and, and she's been going on and on and on, and we keep saying, man, she's so strong. She's such a... Uh, she's, she's just clinging to life. And, 
And in that process, I'm, I'm watching my friend, and I'm listening to my friend, and I'm praying with him, and I'm watching him die a little bit as he now sees his mother kind of failing. And a while ago, I said to him, you know, you know, John, I said, I'm, I am so fortunate. Both my mother and my father died quickly. Neither one of them suffered that I could tell. Both of them, my mom, she took care of her great-grandchild, her great-grandchild, the week before she died. Cared for by herself, a little girl. Carried her, fed her. How my niece let my mom do that, I don't know, but she did. She, she, my mom was 94. Took care of this little baby by herself. And the week after that, she felt poorly. She got a little dizzy, put her in the hospital. The next day, she went home to be with the Lord. And my friend's mom is clinging and clinging and clinging. And he is suffering and suffering and suffering. And so I made the statement. I, I was really fortunate. Both of my parents died very quickly. Uh, now, before they died... That would have been a statement that I would not have made. You understand? I, my dad died in my arms on the last day of our vacation. And I, um, I was holding him, trying to breathe life into him, and he, he died like that. And when the, we were in Hawaii, of all places, and uh, my father loved Hawaii, the day before my father died, didn't know where he was. We went to this beach and the kids were there. And I said, where's dad? You know, I, I, I couldn't figure out where dad was. Look down. There's this big, we were on this kind of desolated beach in the, in the small island of Kauai. And I mean like a little dot out there in the distance was a figure. And he was walking, walking, walking. And lo and behold, it was my dad. Just took a stroll down the beach. The following day, he died. And so I thought that you and I might want to put into focus the whole idea about the sovereignty of God. And so what I'm going to do in this study is not to take a look at the imprisonment of Peter, but I want to talk about the sovereignty of God. It's all a part of this, this message. It's a part of this particular place in Scripture, but it, it stopped me from going through. I, I was studying with the full intent of going through from verse 1 to verse 19. That was my intent. And I started to study through it, and I couldn't get past verse 5. Couldn't. And so I stopped, and I thought, okay, Lord, this must be what you want from us. And so watch. Let's read. Acts chapter 12. By the way, uh, let me just say this before we do, and, and I want to tell you uh, what I say every week. I love you so much. I mean, I love you so much. Thank you for the privilege of doing what I do. Thank you for the privilege of studying and, uh, and coming here and sharing with you what I believe the Lord has placed on, not my heart, all of our hearts, as we go through the Word of God together. We had a, this past Friday, just last Friday, what we call Third Friday. For those of you who are there, I was told it was really a good time. I had the time of my life. I sat with a young couple. We had a dinner, and I sat with a young couple named Brandy and Warren. I now know their names. I now feel like I know them a little bit. Um, we just kind of just enjoyed each other's company. He told me how Pastor Fred married them and, and what a blessing he is in their lives. And we just, I just had the time of my life. And the room here was kind of full. There was over 100 people, maybe a little more closer to 200, I'm not even sure. And uh, I would just encourage you to consider the third Fridays of the month. In February, um, I'm going to teach through the remaining part of, of marriage, and, and, and Pastor, um, Bill, uh, Bill Morris will, will teach a little. Um, but I want to thank you. I thought, I thought uh, Friday night was, uh, it was like a date night. You know, we just just be able to have dinner with our wives and our uh, Loved ones, and it's all for single people as well. Please, please, single people, please feel come, 
feel apart and come. But um, I just wanted to mention what a time it was. And then this Wednesday, um, Hank Hanegraaff will come in the morning for the men. And uh, if you don't normally come to uh, the breakfast, don't feel intimidated like, well, now I shouldn't come. Come, even if it's just this one time, come. And, and if you have any questions, write out a question that you might have. Turn it in to us, and, and Hank Hanegraaff will, will, um, will answer the questions for us. We're going to meet, hopefully, in here. Hopefully, I say in here, because hopefully there will be so many of us men that uh, we won't be able to fit in the other room. And, uh, and he'll be able to answer every one of our questions that we have, at least as, as much as time will allow. And, uh, and then we're going to ask Hank. Uh, Pastor Wes has made a great relationship with, with Hank and and we have a, uh, you know, he just has a love for what we do as a church as we go through the Bible line upon line. He really respects what we've done. And um, we're going to try and talk him into coming here and doing the same thing for all of us, for men and women, and, and uh, having him uh, for a weekend if we can. But that's, a, that's in the future. I just want to tell you I love you and thank you for uh, the privilege of being part of this church with you. It's blessed my life beyond my wildest dream. And, And I owe it to you folks. I love you very much. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in the prison. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. As I said to you already, I don't believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was fervent prayer being made for James as well, just as there was fervent prayer being made for Philip and for Stephen. I believe the church had, a, had the ministry of prayer. But it is interesting that, that all of a sudden when uh, the trials hit, prayers uh, kind of ramped up. And I, I, think that's, I think that's true to all of us. I don't think that they're any different than, than we are today. Sometimes we go through our lives and things are going fairly well and we just don't pray as much. And then all of a sudden a problem hits and boom, we just go to God and we ask for help. I don't know that you need to feel guilty guilty about that, but I think we ought to be a people who pray about certain things all the time. I've said this to you before. In fact, uh, the guys now remind me of it. I buy a cheap watch. I love cheap watches. I do. Uh, and I buy these watches that beep. And I have a watch that beeps every hour. And I do that for a reason. Not so that I know what time it is. I've used it as a tool. As I've used it in my life, certain things as tools, I've used my watch as a tool. When it beeps, it doesn't beep to tell me it's an hour that's gone by. It's, it beeps to remind me, how am I doing right now with the Lord? That's When I hear that beep, that's what I think. Not that it's noon. I say, what are you doing with the Lord? And sometimes I am utterly astounded how I will go from one hour really doing well with the Lord to when that thing beeps doing the most despicable things. Sometimes this thing beeps at the worst time. And it reminds me, John, John, are you walking with me? It's kind of my reminder. It's kind of my holding myself accountable to prayer, to my walk with the Lord. And so I don't blame these people here when it says all of a sudden it appears they are fervently praying But I think you and I ought to get into a habit of prayer. But I know that trials will cause us to fall upon our face before the Lord, perhaps quicker than anything else. And I say to you, this is just a throw in, I say to you, 
that you ought to pray more fervently when things are going well. I've seen more people get messed up before the Lord because of success, a lot worse than those that are having trials. Sometimes success can make us a little bit overconfident, thinking we've got it made, we're doing okay, and we don't need the Lord as much. King Herod, as it says here in verse 1, and I'm going to pray. Let let, let me pray first. Let me do that. Father, please, by your grace, would you open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds so that we might behold wonderful things from your law, your Bible, our word. Would you use this time, Father, this, this remaining half hour that we have, Would you use it, Father God, to bless every person here in whatever fashion you see fit? For that to take place, Father, I pray fervently. I do. And I do it all week long. You know I do, Father. That you would hide me. That I might be moved aside. I know that sounds kind of uh, an overemphasis. But I do pray, Father. But somehow, some way, you would illuminate your word so much that it wouldn't be the person speaking so much, but rather the words that were being mentioned. That we might sense that your heart is speaking to our hearts. That we might sense that you have a, a motive for taking us through this particular place in Scripture at this particular time. That you would use it, Father, for your glory within our lives. And so I I ask and I beg, Father, that you would move me aside, that we might see and sense your heart. I pray this thing, I pray these things, Father, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Verse 1 mentions the name Herod the king. That At that time, we're looking at who is called Herod Agrippa I. He is the grandson of Herod the Great, family of Herods. Now, you know who Herod the Great is because it was Herod the Great who earlier attempted to put Jesus Christ to death at his birth. History leads us to believe that it would be hard-pressed for any of us to find a family who resented and hated God more than the family of Herod. As far as we know, not a single member of Herod's family ever turned to God for salvation. They were uh, a terrible lot of people. Herod, this Herod, was a bloodthirsty king. He had one of his wives, Marianne, killed, murdered, along with her mother and three of the sons that she bore him, killed. He was bloodthirsty. And so, he was the perfect foil for the religious leaders, the Jews of that time, to use him to try to disrupt the movement of Christ that was going on in now the churches in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and in Antioch, as we studied last week. But more primarily right now, we have come back to Jerusalem, where Herod was in control. Executing James, as it says here, he had James, in verse 2, the brother of John. John is the apostle whom Jesus Christ loved. John was the one who at the, the supper was was laying beside Jesus Christ as they were eating, had rested his head upon his breast and asked him, who is the one who has betrayed you? This is John, the one whom Jesus loved. His brother is James. And Herod had James put to death with a sword. Now that's important. It's important to understand because putting him to death with a sword meant that he was beheaded. But Executing someone with a sword at that time was not the norm. The charges that were brought against James had to be given by and through the religious leaders of that day, namely the Jews. They wanted Herod to do their dirty work to 
to stop the movement of Christ within the church that was just exploding in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and Antioch. And so the sentence of putting him to death with a sword leads us to understand and believe and know that that sentence was given out by Jewish law. Here's how I know. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 12, 13, 14, and 15... Deuteronomy chapter 13. The law says, God giving the law, if, verse 12, if you hear in one of your cities which the Lord your God has given you to live in, anyone saying that with some, some worthless men have gone out among you and have seduced the inhabitants of the city, saying, let us go and serve other gods whom you have not, whom you do not know. Verse 14. You shall then investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly. And if it is true and the matter is established that this abomination has been done among you, verse 15 says this. You shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of a sword, utterly destroying it and all that is in it and its cattle. With the edge of the sword. Uh, do you sense that God has uh, a very serious problem with anyone who wants to seek after false gods? You sense how seriously the Lord wants none of us to lead anyone astray from faith in Him and Him alone. You see, to the religious leaders, to the Jews, Jesus was a false god, proclaiming to be deity. They said he was false, blasphemed. And so Peter and James and the rest of the apostles and the disciples in the church of Jerusalem, they felt were leading people astray after a false god, namely Jesus Christ. And so as we read in verse 3 of chapter 12, When Herod saw that when he arrested and executed James, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he decided to go all out. He decided to arrest and execute Peter as well. Now, up to this point, the persecution that fell upon the church had been largely from the religious leaders. Basically what they did was flog the person and told them, don't do that anymore. I understand, they they stoned Stephen to death, but that was unusual. But all of a sudden now, they are starting religiously to put the Christians in prison, bind them so as to hopefully have them killed. But now what has happened is the persecution against the church has grown and moved into the government, to King Herod. It has swung from religion to politics. The rapid growth of the church brought about a first, a very fierce opposition as we have already seen. Remember in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Saul was in hearty agreement in putting Stephen to death. And then on that day, because of the death of Stephen, it says in, in chapter 8, verse 1, there arised a, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And all of the believers were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. But with the religious leadership unable to stop the movement of Christ, of the people embracing this, this faith that you and I now believe and trust in, it appears, no, it, it is, is it apparent that they decided to launch a direct attack through Herod, who, who was a part of what they were doing against the church leaders. And they made the attacks against the church more than just a threat. Look back at chapter 4. Remind ourselves how the religious leaders dealt with the problem of the uprising church. In chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, they summoned them. In other words, they summoned Peter and John to uh, the council. They were the religious leaders of Jerusalem, the Jews. They summoned them, in verse 18, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
But, in verse 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. But, they said in verse 20, We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we've heard. In other words, we've got to say what is the truth. We've got to speak what we know is, is what we've heard and seen. And so it says in verse 21, when they had threatened them further, they let them go. They threatened them, they flogged them, we understood, and then they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. Now, we know that they punished them. When it says punished here, it meant that they had no reason to, they couldn't kill them. They didn't have the right in, 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 in that place to kill anyone. So they couldn't kill them. But now, now time has gone. Now we're in chapter 12. And now we find that they have Herod, a friend of theirs, execute James, have Peter arrested so as to execute him at a later date. How do we know that? Well, I told you I studied from, from verse 1 to verse 19. Look at verses 18 and 19. What we see here is that Peter... Peter has escaped. An angel allowed him to just leave the prison unnoticed. Let the chains fall off of him. He just all of a sudden was, was free and he just left. And there was a disturbance amongst the, those that, that had the prison because the prisoners were escaped. So it says in verse 18, when when the day came, in other words, they found out that, that Peter was gone, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And verse 19 gives us the key. When Herod had searched for Peter and had not found him, he examined the guards and he ordered that they be led away to execution. You see, the guards were to, if anyone that they were guarding escaped, whatever was their sentence, it would fall upon the guards. It was kind of an incentive, if you would, to really protect and take care of those they were guarding and make sure that nobody escaped. And so the same sentence that was on Peter fell upon the guards. Herod had them executed as well. And so as you can see and can imagine... These were extremely tense and traumatic times upon the church and upon the living in Jerusalem at that time. So what takes place is what I've already mentioned to you earlier. And that is in verse 5, we see all of a sudden now the church began to pray fervently. I look down and I see Harold sitting here. Last night, as I was given a message in the back of the church, was a, a man named Bert... I know there's others, but I know of his ministry of prayer for us in this church. And how he fervently prays for this church. Before we ever moved in here, he used to come here, I don't know daily, I don't know how often, and walk around this building before we even laid a, a nail or a paintbrush to any of it. And ask the Lord to bless this place and to use it for his glory. And he would just walk around here and pray for it. So we have people that pray fervently. If you want to be on the prayer team, you can see Harold, you can see Mike, Pastor Mike, you can see Wes. And we would love to have people praying for this church. Um, a couple came to me last week whom I love so much, uh, Bill and Carol, asking me about prayer ministries at this church. And What we see is that they were praying fervently. We want to be a church that does that. But now what we must look into here before we can go on and see why did how did how did the Lord allow Peter to escape? We need to take a look at the sovereign will of God. The question must be asked why Peter and not James? I'm sure then, and if you're a serious student of the Word of God, even now, we ask the question, why was James put to death? Could he not have just allowed him to escape as well? And why was Peter allowed to live? I am positive that there were people praying fervently for James. 
for the freedom of both of these men. Why God let Peter go free and not James, only God knows. The sovereignty of the will of God needs to be examined. Now all of us have seen the Lord reach in and take certain people by death way too soon. I I know there's many here, but I think of Jeff Allward. I I think he was just so so alive and and so much a part of this church and wanted to be a... And and just if things needed to be done, he was the first one. He he recruited some of the guys who are now working on on the, the team that helps clean things up and do things. Why did... We prayed for him. Why did the Lord allow him to die? And others of us are still alive and kicking. Why would God do that? Well, the answer is this. You can search it out as long as you want to, but you need to hear from me. None of us truly know the answer to that. We do not know the mind and the heart of God. In Jeremiah, I mean, excuse me, in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord, nor are my ways your ways. He says, for the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and so are my thoughts than your thoughts. Over and over again within our faith, you and I must remind ourselves that this is His world that we are living in. This is His universe, not ours. We are simply put here to live, and most importantly, we are to be on this earth to worship our God. I think that we have really mis- we have misrepresented Christianity across the board, across the churches. We've allowed people to believe that your lifestyle is of greatest of importance when in fact the most important thing we do all week long is gather together in church. This ought to be our first priority. Everything else ought to be second place. Your life, my life, our lives ought to be lived to worship the Lord. And you need to hear that. Because there are far too many places now that are watering down the Word of God, kind of um, making it seem like this is just a, a, a thing that you come to feel good uh, uh um, um, win bounty points with God. I've come to church. Now, let my business succeed. Let my life succeed. I, I've been good to you. Be good to me. Yes. Permissive church, as Harold says. My son called me this week. We were talking. He calls me every day. It's the, most, it's the, it's the greatest gift the Lord has given me. Probably the finest gift is, is my son and I are like, I, mean, I just love him so much. And we laugh at the same things, and it's, it's just it's just fun. And he called me, and he said, Dad, he said, uh, some guy uh, came to my home. He said, uh, we were we were uh, kind of taking care of his daughter. He and his his wife are, uh, are divorced, and and our daughter loves his daughter, and they play a lot together. So we have her here often, and whenever she's here, he'll end up knowing about it. Call us, and and he'll he'll come by, and he talks to me. Incessantly. He just talks, you know, and he kind of hangs out. And he says he's he's just a religious guy. And he started telling me about this church he thought we should go to. I won't tell you the name of the church. He says, but you'll love this church. You'll absolutely love it. He says, it's growing leaps and bounds. And he says, the, 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 the staff has understood that there are many people coming from many different denominations, many different lifestyles. There's thousands. He says, so they have decided not to bring Bibles to the church. You'll love it. And he says, they have decided not to tackle any doctrinal problems so as to not to upset some people who come from this denomination or that denomination and kind of just just make it, uh, just make it really, you'll love it. It'll be... It'll be, you'll feel real comfortable there. And John says, no, it sounds to me like it's a country club. That's my son. Yes. He says, it sounds to me like you need the Word of God taught more than you need to feel good about yourself. 
And he said, Dad, he said, this guy went off on me. He thought, man, are you, he called me, you know, uh, um, you know, um, oh, I don't know, not real bad names, but just like, you know, you're very um, closed-minded. You, you just don't see the broad picture of God. And that's what our society is, that's what some churches are trying, and this church has grown to about 10,000 people, they say, my son said to me. And see, that's a popular thing, that's a popular notion, to, to make people feel good in church and not to, to teach anything that might, might upset you. That's not what church is for. We've learned from the book of Acts that we have been given orders. We have been given orders of how to conduct church, and we are to teach the things that the apostles taught us. And we're to, we're to lead people to Christ and to a very serious understanding of who He is. And your life and my life is to worship Him first and foremost. That ought to be the very first thing that goes into your mind when you awaken in the morning. How can I worship the Lord today? And the other things that you do are just a a bonus. The job that you have, the, the way that you make your living, that's not the most important thing in your life. It shouldn't be. Worshiping God should be. And then God's sovereign will takes over. God's sovereign will. Can I explain to you a little way of how it made sense to me at least? And this is very personal, so forgive me if it just if it's that. In 1964, I made it to the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team. I was their third baseman. Opening day, third baseman. Oh my gosh. I was going to play third base for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Sandy Koufax, I roomed with him in the spring. And, and he's the opening day pitcher. Hall, automatic Hall of Fame. Unbelievable. And we open up the season at home, and, and, and we play against the St. Louis Cardinals, and then we go on the road, and, and when we go to Philadelphia, in the paper it says the Dodgers come in town, and some people you might want to notice this year in the National League, are Pete Rose with Cincinnati, our own Richie Allen, and this upcoming guy called <laughs> my name, my John. I saw my name in the paper. I was considered one of the candidates for Rookie of the Year. Now, I don't know what happened to Richie Allen and Pete Rose. <laughs> <laughs> I say that to you because neither one of those men wanted to be successful in baseball any more than me, I don't think. Neither one of those guys practiced any harder than I did, I don't think. I went to winter ball. I played, as, I played year-round. I just wasn't good enough. That's all. That's bottom line. Bottom line is God's sovereign will did not give me the talent He gave Pete Rose and Richie Allen. Now, at the time, I wasn't a believer, and I was very upset with it. To be very honest with you, I thought, what the heck's going on here? Why not me? And now, as I get older, I think I see why not me. I wonder what would have happened in my life had I been as successful as Pete Rose or Richie Allen. God's sovereign will moves in your life and my life, and He does with us as He so sees fitting. And so over and over again, you and I are to remind ourselves the most important thing that we have going, and that is that we are we have been created to worship God and to put Him first place in our lives. Look with me at Revelation chapter 4, please. The last book in the New Testament. The book of Revelation, the fourth chapter. We have been studying in the men's breakfasts on Wednesday mornings at uh, 6 o'clock. I really encourage you men to come. Pastor Fred has been teaching us about worship. He spoke about this place in Scripture this this, uh, Wednesday morning. It says in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8, The four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, full of eyes around and within, day and night, notice, day and night, day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. 
And when the four living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever. And then in verse 10 it says, the 24 elders, that is the church, folks. That is the essence of the church before God in heaven. The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and they will worship Him who lives forever and ever. They will cast their crowns before the throne, saying in verse 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, because you have created all things. And because of your will, because of your sovereign will, we exist and we're created. Plain and simple, folks. You and I were created and we exist to worship God. And we live and we die according to His will. And so as you go back now again to, well, Acts chapter 12, but I don't know that we'll stay there for very long. The two brothers, James and John. You'll note there in verse 2, it says, James, the brother of John. It's very interesting that that the, the writer of Acts mentions James and John. John was not arrested. John was not in prison. But James, the brother of John, James was the first apostle to die. Yes, Judas died first. But the first of the apostles who walked with the Lord, James was the first to die, and John was the last to die. In God's sovereign plan, the lives and ministry of James and John were uniquely different. James died early by the edge of a sword. John lived for a long, long time. It paralleled, really, Stephen and Philip. You see, in the sovereign plan of God, one was taken early, the other was left to minister for many years. And they are reminders again and again that you and I live under the reign and the rule of a sovereign God who will send us, who will move us, who will protect us, and yes, allow us to go home to be with Him at the time and the place that He sees fit. Remember in John chapter 21, If you want to, you can turn there. You don't need to because you're going to remember it. The moment I start to tell you, Jesus Christ comes back. Peter decided to go fishing. And while he was fishing, he didn't catch anything. And Jesus said, have you thought about throwing the net on the other side? And they came back. And when when Peter saw who was talking to him, John in the boat with him said, "I I think that's the Lord. And you remember what Peter did? He did not wait to row in. He jumped in, started swimming to the shore, came to the shore, and then when he got there, Jesus Christ had fish already prepared for them. And Jesus said to Peter three times, Do you love me? Remember? And Peter said, You know that I like you a lot. And he says, Do you love me? He says, You know that I like you a lot. And so the Lord said the third time, do you like me a lot? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know, it was kind of like intimidating. You know all things, Lord. You know that I like you a lot. And he says, okay, then take care of my sheep. And then he went and told Peter how he was going to die. Do you remember? And what Peter did was looked around and he saw John walking by the shore. And he said to Jesus Christ, what about him? What about him? Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He says, what does it matter to you if I allow him to remain until I return? You, what? Follow me. Let me say to you folks, you and I are no different than the apostles. We are no different than the church in the first century. Our call in our life is the same as theirs. Church ought to be the same. Our intensity of our love for Christ ought to be the same. Our worship of God ought to be the same. He ought to have first place in our life. We ought to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our might. We are to love the Lord first and foremost. And our call in life is to follow Him. 
And the church needs to hear that. We need to understand the importance of our lives to follow the Lord. To not just come here and play church. That's not what the Rock Community Church is about. We're not going to play church. We want to build into your life, into my life. You're to help me, I'm to help you. We want to build into our lives an an accountability, uh, uh, equipping each other so that we become the people of God that God has created us to become. Because that is what church is all about. We're not to water down the gospel. We're not to kind of duck and hide from difficult problems uh, that you might find within the Word of God. We're to tackle them. We're to find out what is it trying to say so it can deal with our lives. And so this place in Scripture, Acts chapter 12, as well as John chapter 21, as well as Revelation chapter 4, and so many other places, illustrates that we are to be devoted to the Lord. And we should be under His sovereign will. And there's a great deal to be learned by what happened to Stephen and Philip and James and Peter. As I said to you before, I imagine... There were many of them that were a part of both of the prayer meetings for James as well as for Peter. I'm positive that the church prayed as fervently for James as they did for Peter. Perhaps they were praying in the same location. Perhaps most of the same people were lifting up fervent prayers unto the Lord for James as they did for Peter. And yet Peter was miraculously set free and James was killed by the edge of a sword. What went wrong? What went wrong? Was it the way they prayed? Did they use the wrong words for James and the right ones for Peter? Wrong scripture for James, the right scripture for Peter? Did they use the right posture for Peter? Did they get down on their knees like they were supposed to? Or whatever way, any way you think you ought to pray when the Bible doesn't give any specific way. It says just pray. Did God love Peter? More than he did James? The answer to every single one of those questions is no way. No. But they're the questions that are asked, and I think correctly. At a moment when we are faced by the sovereign will of God, when God makes a choice in someone's life that's difficult, in the other life that's not so. Last night we had a lady here and her her sweet daughter and her son-in-law. Her first granddaughter, they come to this church, cannot see. And so she's dealing with that as a grandmother and the parents as well. But the reason I mentioned the grandmother is because she wrote Kay the most precious letter. Her second grandchild was born unable to hear. Is it not enough that one of the kids can't see, now the other one can't hear? And she wrote Cain, she says, I feel blessed. She wrote this, I feel blessed. She's kind of new in her faith. I feel blessed. The Lord is teaching me how to, to, to do Braille, and now He's teaching me how to sign language. Gosh. Gosh. The sovereign will of God moves within our lives. And did God... Love James, I mean Peter more than James, of course not. They were both equally loved by God. They were both equally needed by the church. They were both equally missed by their loved ones. And so when you come to the sovereign will of God, it all boils down to one thought and one thought only, and it is this, faith. Look it, since you and I don't know all that God has for you and me, since we cannot see eternity as He sees eternity, It all comes down to our faith and our faith alone. We have to teach ourselves. Paul wrote in Philippians, I have learned, I have learned to be content in every circumstance I find myself, whether it be in prosperity or in humble needs, whether it be in in being full or going hungry, I've learned to be content. And God shouts from heaven itself to say, In the book of Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare, plans 
No, plans for welfare and not for calamity. Plans to give you a future. Plans to give you a hope. Only God knows what is happening in your life right now. Only God knows what is before you. I say to you as I say to myself, we must teach ourselves to fall under the sovereign will of God and understand that He is in control and we must have faith in what He is doing in and through our lives. I grant you, sometimes it's hard. I, I know hard through what I went through, but I don't know hard like some of you have gone through certain things. God's sovereign will cannot be totally explained. There are certain things that we just got to take by faith. But don't ever let Satan make you think that he doesn't love you or that if you did something a little bit more, it would be a little bit better for you. Don't fall into that trap. Know that God loves you. He just has a different plan for each and every one of us. And what it is, who knows? Only He does. Let me pray. Father, please. Um, tough subject, Lord. I pray that, uh, that You allowed me to do uh, You justice in what was taught. I believe with all of my heart it's a, a question that all of us ask ourselves at one time or another. Why, 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 why did... My mother suffered so much. Why, why, why did my father die so early? Why did my son, why did my mother, why did whomever? And Father, those why questions of you are, are really unanswerable at times. It all boils down to everything that our, our life is all about as believers in you, and that is faith. Just faith. Faith and faith alone. Trusting in you, knowing that you care for us, that you have a plan for us. A plan for welfare, not for calamity. A plan that will give us a future and a hope. And so, Lord, let us seek for you, find you, when we search for you with all of our hearts. Thank you, Father, for this, this morning. Thank you for the dear people in this church. I love them so much, dear Father. What a privilege you've given me to be a part of this place at this time. Bless us all as we go from here. Whatever it is, Father, that you care... To do with us today, may it be, Father, according to your will. And may we, Father, bless you, honor you, worship you today. May we take very seriously going to church and being a part of this church. May we take very seriously, Father, our first call in life. And that is to worship you. For we will do that forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, for that privilege. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all so much. Have a great, great, great day. Thank you for being here. See you next week.